Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The Philadelphia Eagles have been on the luckiest streak of any team I have ever carefully watched in the history of professional football. Here we go. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 90, in honor of D-Law, as in laying down D-Law for my Dallas Cowboys, as in Demarcus Lawrence. This, as always, is the un-undisputed. Everything I cannot share with you during the debate show that is undisputed. Today, I will take you way behind the scenes of the new undisputed funeral commercial that you've probably seen on television. Today, I will tell you the unlikeliest place, it was very unlikely, that I've ever debated the Dallas Cowboys. Today, I will predict the rest of the Cowboys season, which is just getting started as we speak. Today, I will tell you why the Philadelphia Eagles are making me sicker than ever. Today, I'll even give you a quick review of the movie Napoleon. And finally, I will tell you about how some recent tragedy in my life has impacted my life. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. I will start with one of your questions your probing, provocative questions. This is Justin from Syracuse. Is the new undisputed commercial you practicing for your eulogy of the Cowboys season this year? Ha ha. Funny attempt, Justin from Syracuse. No, that's not what it is at all. I I got a really good feeling about this season. I, I Sue me, forgive me. I got a really deep down, strong, powerful, potent, positive feeling about this Cowboy season. But to Justin's question, I'm hoping you have seen this new Undisputed commercial. It's now airing fairly regularly on Fox and on FS1. We call it, quote-unquote, eulogy because 
I'm supposed to deliver a eulogy, as you've probably seen, at a funeral service at the gravesite in the cemetery. Only, well, I, uh, I hope you've seen it. Now for the backstory. My man here at Fox and FS1, Robert Gottlieb, is a commercial-making guru bordering on genius. He's our president of marketing, has overseen several commercials I've been fortunate, excuse me, fortunate enough to be a part of here at FS1, even as we launched back in September of 2016. We did a movie theater commercial with my man, Morris Chestnut. I won't get into the details, but if you remember it, you remember it. Later, with my man, Shannon Sharp, I did a morning routine commercial as we compete against each other to get ready for the show. Ending with Shannon coming in. He thought early to turn on the lights in the studio, and I'm already up at the debate desk. What took you so long? Maybe you remember that one. All these clever bordering on genius. But my man Robert introduced me to the concept for the current commercial in his office just a couple of weeks back. It was actually a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving with hopes that we could quickly shoot the commercial and turn it around to air for the first time during the Green Bay-Detroit game on Fox on Thanksgiving Day. We did pull that much off. So the original concept was, I'm supposed to eulogize the deceased at the funeral, but... I just can't help myself. I can't stop talking about, thinking about my Dallas Cowboys or sports in general. And I lose it. And this was the original concept. I start talking about how my team just lost its star edge rusher to an injury. And how I'm so torn up about it that I just can't stop myself from spilling over about it. And the message line of the commercial is, when your brain is full of sports, there isn't room for much else, which, given my brain, is extremely accurately, legitimately, authentically true as true can be. So I like the concept, but right away, we began to discuss a couple of issues. So there's obviously a very fine line that we are walking because I am talking about the deceased. And at the first, it was unclear in the original concept, am I actually referring to the Dallas Cowboys or just leaving that up to the imagination? We weren't sure. We're just spitballing. We're, we're just free-forming. We're going back and forth trying to arrive at a final concept. And of course, there are two bigger issues for me that stared us right in the face because I obviously did not want to come across 
as completely disrespectful to the deceased to the point of being blasphemous at a gravesite. I'm often, as you well know, accused of being irreverent, even heartless, even when I don't remotely deserve said criticism. But I guess that just goes with my territory, just goes with being me. But as we went back and forth in Robert's office, my thought was, if I so obviously come off as poking fun completely at myself for losing it during a eulogy, that might work, might work. Issue number two for me, this was personal to me, I did not love the, the idea of suggesting that my best player had just gotten hurt. You know what I think about jinx factors. You know how fearful I am of all but daring the injury gods to strike down one of my players for real, legitimately in real life. Fearful I might accidentally speak that into existence. So I didn't want those words to come out of my mouth on a commercial that would air fairly frequently on national TV. So we wrestled and we wrestled some more. And before I knew it, we were tracking toward Thanksgiving, even as we wrestled. So I wrote one script I did not love, sent it to Robert. I don't think he loved it either. He's working with an independent director, great guy, smart man named Clay Weiner. They shot back a a new proposed opening line for me to sort of riff on. It's times like this that make you wonder why. Something you would say to open a eulogy at a real funeral. This did give me a little bit more of a creative spark. Yet it wasn't until the Friday night before the Saturday we were scheduled to shoot said commercial that it finally struck me like lightning after maybe my eighth or tenth attempt at a script. I thought, wait a minute, forget about fiction. Let's go back to fact, to what has already happened that did, in fact, legitimately tear me up. Why not go real, go full-on cowboys, but go detailed past tense? So I scripted out from the heart a rant about how the team I've loved since I was 10 years old lost at Arizona, then lost at San Francisco 42 to 10, then lost at Philadelphia in part because my quarterback stepped out of bounds on a two-point try when it looked like he could have waltzed into the end zone. And wait a minute, Eureka, I got it. Once I thought I had it, that Friday night heading to Saturday, I slept for about five 
fairly sleepless hours. I got up. I memorized that script that I had written out. I spoke it over and over in my head on the treadmill that Saturday morning as I got ready to battle the day, the long day ahead. I emblazoned those words in my psyche because I knew I was going to be tested in ways I'm never even tested on live TV on Undisputed. Then I jumped in the shower and I got ready and I headed out for a real live, so to speak, cemetery in Altadena, which is a little town near Pasadena out here in Los Angeles where we found the perfect cemetery, if there's such a thing. Fortunately for us, we, we were blessed with a beautiful day. Fortunately for me, I work here. This company is first class, five star in everything it does. Gourmet food services. Each of the three stars of the commercial Michael Irvin, Keyshawn Johnson, and I each had a star trailer unto ourselves. So, with Autumn, our wardrobe artist, when I arrived, we debated back and forth, should I wear a tie, no tie, should I wear a black tie on a black shirt, looked a little mafioso, I never wear a tie on air, as you know, that didn't look right, so I finally just decided, let's go with our Friday look, black on black, but no, I I can't wear my Wayne chain to a funeral, that would be slightly disrespectful, if not full on. Even before I strode out to the set, the mourners were all in place. There were, I don't know how many, 30 or 40 of them. They had shot some cutaways with the mourners already. Michael and Keyshawn weren't to arrive until about an hour after I would shoot some of my stuff. So finally, it was my turn, and I had to walk part of the cemetery, and I must admit it was pretty creepy stepping over and around gravestones, many, many gravestones, many with the deceased date pre-1900, late 1800s, made me think, life is short. I'll get to that in just a few minutes. At some moments, as I strode, I thought, gee, am I on my way to my own figurative funeral here? This is not what I do. The set was packed with people, huge crew, cameras everywhere. Our director, Clay, had a couple of writers with him, ready to come up with quick new lines just in case. All the hair people, all the wardrobe people, all the makeup people. It was quite a set with a whole lot of people watching, waiting, wondering if I could pull this off. Obviously, I deep down knew that 
this whole thing pretty much hinged on my ability to pull off something that would work. So I was about as intensely prepared to unleash this as I've ever been for anything in my career. Director asked, do you, you want to rehearse? No. You want us to feed you a few lines to get you? No. I got this. Even Robert Gottlieb, our president of marketing, overseeing, show running, wasn't sure what I was going to do because we'd barely spoken about it. But we've worked together a lot. And to his credit, he did trust me because I trust him with my professional life. So first up, the woman who played the deceased niece stepped to the little podium and she was so convincingly distraught. I sure bought it. It, it, it made me want to cry, seriously. It was so good. Bravo to her. Then as the priest helped her away, my turn. I marched to the podium. I took out my quote-unquote notes out of my suit coat pocket, spread them out. Nothing on the notes. And I let it fly. I poured my heart out for five straight minutes about how my Cowboys had torn my heart out at Arizona, at San Francisco, at Philadelphia. I did not stumble or fumble one time. As Veronica Corningstone says in Anchorman, I nailed it. I did. For what it was worth. And when I finished, there was a long moment of hushed silence on that set because nobody knew what to expect from me. And then there was applause. Robert Gottlieb and Clay, the director, were like, whoa, wow, where did that come from? The woman who played the niece was nearby and she immediately congratulated me and asked me, have you acted before? And I said, no, I have not. And that was not acting. That was as real as it gets. I was truly, authentically speaking from the bottom of my heart because I thought that was the only way to get this to work. So after everyone sort of regathered themselves, we did try a few new ways to end my quote-unquote eulogy. But now, about an hour later, it was all about Michael Irvin and Keyshawn Johnson, who were both amazing as they played off me during my quote-unquote eulogy. Amazing. So was the man who played the priest. 
who approaches me just after I finish, as you might have seen in the commercial, and leans in and says, how about them cowboys? If you get it, if you buy into it, that's funny. In fact, everything we ended up shooting over about, I don't know, four or five hours felt so good that I could not imagine how they were going to squeeze bits and pieces into a 30-second commercial. And yet, by day's end, Robert Gottlieb said he was going to push for 45 seconds, and he got 45 seconds. Even though now there's a new shorter version running, a 30-second version, in which, and this was not my idea, I believe it was Clay, the director's idea, maybe Robert's, but this one ends with me stepping back to the podium, back to the microphone, and saying, the family invites you back to the house for refreshments which given how crazy I just was in my quote-unquote eulogy is potentially very funny. Now for the fallout. My wife Ernestine, when I first shared the concept with her, voiced her concerns. Yet in the end, I'm pretty sure she liked it. I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure she liked it. I can tell you that every last one of my friends loved it. They all said, hilarious. That's all I heard was hilarious. I'm told, because I don't track it, but I'm told that around 90% of the internet reaction to the commercial was positive. And for me, if, if only 10% was negative, that, that for me is my all-time record for low negativity. The head of F, excuse me, the head of FS1, my man Charlie Dixon, told me about a good friend of his who despises me, despises everything I say on Undisputed, who loved the commercial so much that he even allowed to Charlie that he might, might even reconsider his opinion of me in general. Again, the point was, I was making crazy fun of myself. And by the way, I had to agree in real life to go along with this concept that, yeah, I I can't quit thinking, talking, brooding about my cowboys. I can't stop but I can step outside myself enough to, to tell you that I'm, I'm willing to laugh at that because I deserve to be laughed at. So I was laughing out loud at myself, hoping that you might laugh out loud at our commercial. I mean, I, I don't think I would actually lose it like that at a funeral. Th- then again... Knowing me, I I don't know. So my favorite moments as I watch the commercial are when 
as I first launch into my rant, there's a mourner in the front row who reopens his program as if to see, was this scheduled? And then the woman who plays the niece gives me a look like, what are you doing? That's funny to me. I must admit, every time I see it, and I have a hard time watching myself on television, but I do watch this, not for me, but for those little moments, because they do make me laugh. So I do hope you enjoyed it. I do hope it worked. And to dearly departed Uncle Philip, if you're up there watching, please forgive me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Next question is Isaac from New York. Now that we've seen you at a funeral, where has been the unlikeliest place you have debated the Cowboys? Okay, I got one for you. 1984, Winter Olympics, Sarajevo, in what was then still Yugoslavia. I'm there, columnist, Dallas Times-Herald. And just a quick backdrop. I know from your living rooms during the Winter Olympics here in the States, you romanticize what it would be like to be there. All those sensational events, the beautiful mountains, the snow, the backdrop. For me, it was hellish. It was hellish on U.S. soil, 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. Probably that was the worst of it, but it it was close being in Sarajevo, and I'll tell you why. If you go for a publication to just cover one sport, figure skating, downhill skiing, whatever, and you're an expert in that sport, then you can just live for the days that sport operates at the Olympics. If you go as a columnist, you're literally all over the map trying to figure out what's the hottest story today? What would make the best column tonight? Off which event? It's very difficult to get around because the transportation is 
awful. The little minivans that run from event to event, never run on schedule, never can be trusted. You can't have a car. You're within the confines of a town that is under lock and key. For you history buffs, you know Sarajevo was the site of the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand that started World War I. I knew all about that, but I had no time nor no opportunity to sightsee because you really can't. Everything is locked down, security checkpoints. It just doesn't work. I went to work, period, end of story. If you could send me to Sarajevo for three or four days in the summertime with nothing to do, I'm there. Thank you. Thank you, God. Some of the architecture that I saw from a distance was spectacular. No time to enjoy, to savor, to embrace, to experience. None at all. Snowing, deep snow drifts, no place to exercise. So every morning I got up and I ran in the snow. I ran my distance. I ran for an hour every morning in the snow, slogging and sloshing with armed guards, with machine guns on every corner, wearing my credential around my neck to identify me. We were housed in brand new dorms that were going to become public housing, but trust me, they were low rent. The one thing that got me the worst was in my tiny little dorm room with a heater that barely worked, was there's no shower curtain. Well, it's a silly little thing, but if you don't have a shower curtain, you know what happens when you take a shower? Your tiny little bathroom gets flooded with water. I, I don't know. It wasn't exactly a three, four, or five-star hotel that I had been spoiled by. But in the lobby of our little dorm was an attendant who spoke a little English, pretty broken English, but enough that you could communicate. He was just there to direct and help just in case. And obviously I passed him every morning as I went to run and I returned from running. And then as I went to work and returned from work, he was there. It seemed like he lived there 24 hours. So at one point I stopped and talked to this man, Yugoslavian. And One thing led to another, and when I said, I'm from Dallas, Texas, he immediately said, Cowboys. I said, you know the Dallas Cowboys? Do I know the Dallas? Yes, I know the Dallas. This is 1984. They were coming off the first troubled season under Coach Landry. You could just tell the wheels were starting to wobble, if not come off. It's Danny White giving way to Gary Hogaboom at quarterback, and, and they missed the playoffs. It, it, was, it was a long, bad season, and this guy knew it all. He knew chapter and verse. He knew scores. I couldn't believe it. And we're talking about, is it over for Danny White? Do they have any chance? As fate would have it, they stole the division the following year, wound up playing in the playoffs, out here in Los Angeles against Eric Dickerson's Rams and got run off the field. But we're debating 
Is Tom Landry losing his fastball? I'm in Sarajevo. I'm having out-of-body experience. I've just come back from running. My feet are soaked because it's slushy stuff that I'm running through in these grimy sort of streets. Trucks going back and forth. Nowhere to run except around the blocks. And I'm debating the Dallas Cowboys with the attendant in my dorm with no shower curtains. That was the unlikeliest place. This is JC from LA. Okay, predict the Cowboys' upcoming gauntlet of a schedule for the rest of the season. All right, I'm just going to get this off my chest. As you know, if you watch Undisputed, day after day, after day, after day, I've been beaten over the head by Keyshawn Johnson and Richard Sherm, Sherman, excuse me, Richard Sherman, call him Sherm. Two of my cohorts, my co-stars, my teammates who do not love the Dallas Cowboys, even though Keyshawn played for the Dallas Cowboys, I think I have turned him against the Dallas Cowboys, as has my man Michael Irvin, the Dallas Cowboy. But day after day, hour after hour, topic after topic, all I've heard is, you've only beaten up on bad teams. And when you did play good teams, see San Francisco, see Philadelphia, you lost. Tomato cans, little sisters of the poor, cakewalks. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. But now it starts. Now it gets serious. Now it gets real, even though they're trying, Nikishan's trying to discredit Seattle, saying, well, they're on, on a bit of a losing streak. What are they, two and four in their last six games? They're not what we thought they were going to be. I don't really care. Richard loves the Seahawks. He's picking the Seahawks. So here we go. Gauntlet. Seattle. Eagles. At Buffalo. At Miami. Lions at home. At Commanders. Our arch rival to end. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it again. I've told you this before. Sitting in this chair. My team has found itself. It has risen up from the ashes in San Francisco, 42 to 10 ashes. And it has magically found itself. It happens. It's the beauty of pro football. It's the beauty of the National Football League that it's a long season. And if a team, I got to knock on some kind of wood here, stays healthy, it's all about the health. It's all about the injury gods. If you can stay reasonably healthy or if you can have what becomes a weirdly fortuitous, excuse me, fortuitous injury in which a Pro Bowl corner Trevon Diggs goes down for the season and all of a sudden Duran Bland makes a run at defensive player of the year as his replacement. If that happens, meant to be. Michael Irvin's theory is once Jerry finally relented, took 30 years, and said, okay, I'm going to put Jimmy Johnson in the ring of honor. It's going to happen on December 30th, the Detroit game day at Jerry World. Michael's theory is that broke the curse. 
Cowboys haven't been to a Super Bowl. Haven't been to an NFC Championship game 27 years. It's Michael Troy Emmett beating Pittsburgh in the last Super Bowl we played in. And maybe the curse has now been broken. Dak Prescott looks like a new man to me. I'm sorry. I, I don't know this Dak, but I love this Dak. And I'm starting to trust this Dak. And the God's truth is, I would not be shocked if we won out, if we won our last six games. That would make us 14 and three. But I'll be the objective Cowboy fan that I am, sometimes harshly objective. And I'll say they lose one of the last six. I'll say they lose at Miami. I'll say they finish 13 and four. Because this team is that good. Deep down, heart of hearts, Keyshawn Johnson and Richard Sherman know my Cowboys, Michael's Cowboys, are that good. As in Super Bowl good. This is Aaron from Sarasota, Florida. You've got to admit, the Kelly Green Eagles jerseys are awesome, right? Gag me with a green spoon. Look, I've told you before, I hate the Philadelphia Eagles. I hate their colors. I hate their jerseys. I hate that green. I've mentioned before, I don't know what possessed my mother. Wasn't that much of a football fan, but for some reason, she and my father went to this preseason game. I couldn't have been more than eight years old. Cowboys not even born yet. So I didn't have a team. I, I kind of like the St. Louis Cardinals because we got them on television. But my mom goes to a preseason game at the University of Oklahoma Stadium in Norman, suburb of Oklahoma City. They went only because Tommy McDonald, who had been a big star at Oklahoma, was a sort of receiver slash running back for those Eagles, and they were barnstorming in the preseason, as they called it, trying to attract new NFL fans by playing in Tommy's old stomping grounds, Norman, Oklahoma. So my mom and dad went, and my mom bought me an Eagles pennant. They used to have these things called pennants. I don't know why. And it was that, there's an old word we used to say when I was a little kid, erp. You erp as in throw up. I don't know if anybody even uses that word anymore. But that green to me was erpy green, as in make you throw up green. It's just there's something about it that just turned my stomach. And yet, because my mom had bought it and brought it home to me, I felt so obligated, I had to tack it up on my wall and leave it there for like a month before she forgot about it. And then I took it down and literally threw it in the trash and hoped she didn't see it getting carted out of the house. I've also told you I have terribly mixed emotions because of Jalen Hurts. I do love him. I don't love that he left Wayne's agency of representation, but he did. And yet I've always loved him as a player, playmaker, leader. 
But that team, that Eagles team right now, it is all Jalen Hurts. Tush, push. That's all about Jalen. It's, it's okay, I'll give you Jason Kelsey. I'll give you the two guards. I, but still, it's about the power base. The strongest pound-for-bound man in the weight room. It's about Jalen Hurts' ability to power underneath all that manpower. I've never seen anything like it. He has created a play that is literally unstoppable. He makes a lot of fourth quarter plays that are literally unstoppable. I don't know where they would be without him because as I keep making the case, over the last four games, the Philadelphia Eagles have been on the luckiest streak of any team I have ever carefully watched in the history of professional football. Four straight games, they have trailed at halftime. Four straight games, they have been badly outgained by their opponent, and they somehow won or stole all four games. Luck, 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 and more luck. Never seen anything like it before. Great escapes, but just truly bad bounces for the opponents and ultimately for the Dallas Cowboys chasing the Philadelphia Eagles. Without Jalen, this 10-1 and team could have lost four or five games. This defense is not very good. I've said it all offseason. I said it going into this season. It's now ranked 20th in points allowed. It's third from the bottom in third down conversions allowed. It's torchable. It's gettable. But in the end, the Eagles just make me sick because they somehow, thanks to Jalen Hurts, keep escaping. That luck will run out sooner than later. This is Michael from Nevada. Do you prefer the Cowboys play on Sunday, Monday, or Thursday? That's an interesting question. You know, I I actually prefer that they would play on every Sunday, every Monday, and every Thursday. That's just me. But let's face it, the Dallas Cowboys, religion to some across this country, especially in the Bible Belt, they belong on Sunday. They belong at 425 Eastern on Fox. When they don't play on Sunday, Sunday just isn't the same without the Dallas Cowboys. Now suffer me this, a quick aside, a quick review of the movie or film, if you prefer, Napoleon. What I anticipated, maybe to a fault, would be a Ridley Scott epic of gladiator proportion. Maybe I know too much. Maybe I'm too much a student of history. Maybe I have read too much about the real Napoleon. But I just couldn't buy Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon. The truth is, Joaquin Phoenix basically plays himself in almost every role he's ever played. Nobody can play tortured soul 
Nobody can play quirky to the point of kooky crazy better than Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix, to me, is a one-note, one-gear actor with very little range. But that one note and that one gear can be extraordinary if matched with the correct role. See Joker. See Academy Award. See so many roles that fit him like gloves with holes in them. See Irrational Man by one of my favorites, Woody Allen. I've seen every Woody film. Joaquin Phoenix was great in Irrational Man, but he played himself. Joaquin Phoenix played himself as Johnny Cash. I couldn't really get into it because I know too much about Johnny Cash. In Napoleon, Joaquin Phoenix plays Napoleon as Joker. Really? He was that quirky, that nutty, that kooky, that crazy? Did he have that many problems with women? Was he that antisocial? that socially awkward? Not the Napoleon I've read about. Was he that much of a tortured soul? Mm, I, I don't think so, but maybe Ridley Scott knows something I don't. Obviously, I got hooked on the prospect of experiencing Napoleon by the trailers, by the commercials. I thought it would be a battlefield epic of the proportion of Gladiator. And by the way, to me, Joaquin Phoenix's greatest role ever was Commodus in Gladiator because it required a little different range because for the first time, he was not a sympathetic figure. He was not a tortured soul that you had any sympathy for because he might have been tortured, but he liked to torture others. As you know, Commodus was as evil a villain as it gets. And Joaquin pulled that off. But I'm sorry, it's hard for me to sit for two and a half hours trying to accept Joker as Napoleon. I tried and I tried, but were there epic battles? Yes, there's an epic storming of the fort. There's one great epic victory. And then there's, of course, Waterloo. And they are sensationally shot by Ridley Scott. They are next level. They were simply extraordinary filmmaking of the highest level, but the battles make up, maybe what, 10% of the movie? The rest is psychodrama featuring the tortured soul, 
the nutty, goofy, bizarre joker as Napoleon. So much Napoleon and Josephine and all their issues. And they don't jive with, with what the history books say. So, I don't know. You, you almost, is it fact or fiction? It's probably more fiction. Even though there's a lot of fact wrapped around Ridley Scott's fiction. But the psychodrama just drones on and on. And after a while, I must admit, I dozed a couple of times. I glanced at my wife, Ernestine. She dozed a couple of, four or five times. It's not what we were expecting. It's not what I wanted out of a potential battlefield epic. Out of Ridley Scott. Out of Napoleon. One of the great genius battlefield tacticians in the history of war. That was not conveyed. And that's why, in the end, I was lost. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Ricky from Lowell, Mass. What are you most thankful for this year? I'm going to go a little deeper here, Ricky. The truth is, at this moment, I'm just thankful for being alive. Ernestine has often told me to the point of fighting with me. You've got to slow down. You've got to stop and smell some roses, maybe a couple. You've got to quit sweating the small stuff, the stuff that ultimately will not matter. Everything to me is do or die. Her message to me for years has been, don't or you will die. I am type A plus to a fault. My motto is never miss. I never miss a workout. Got to knock on wood again. I don't take days off. I hope I'm not forced to take days off. But lately, because of some events in my life, I've sat back and struggled with how do you strike a balance between giving your all every single minute of every single day and also giving yourself a break. And I mean literally and figuratively a break. 
How can you win at life while slowing down enough to enjoy said life? Because my problem is I can't enjoy life unless I'm winning. And winning requires severe sacrifice. Lately, I hark back on one thing that my late mom always stressed to me. I can't tell you how many times she told me this. I, I ignored all the rest, but this one always stuck with me, always resonated. Even now, I can hear her voice telling me, in the end, all that matters is your health. Again and again, that's all she said. Yeah, but I'm healthy. I'm fine. Resonates. I still hear Levita's voice in the back of my head. In the end, all that matters is your health. So Ernestine and I have had a rough four or five days. My best friend in Oklahoma City is named Craig Humphreys. He's a radio legend called the Hump Man. I've known him since seventh grade. We have remained very close. Go back to visit him every single summer to play golf with him and some of my other high school friends and his son, Sam. Ernestine and I are very close to his wife, Bev, who is struggling with breast cancer. We thought she had beaten it. And now it's back. And on Thanksgiving night, they had to rush her to the hospital. She's having all sorts of issues. She has no appetite. She's going to have to go back. Chemotherapy this week. She's dreading it. She thought she was over it. She fought through it so hard, so bravely the first time, and it's back again. She's having a hard time mentally, and I get it. We love you, Bev. We're praying for you. We're there for you. We believe in you. You're as tough as they come. Then yesterday, got a call from a fraternity brother of mine about another fraternity brother of mine at Vanderbilt, a former sweet mate of mine in Tower One, as they used to call it. It's not there anymore. 14th floor of Tower One, the top floor. For two years, I lived in a suite with Tom Patterson. Really good athlete out of Memphis. Went on to become a very successful dentist. Had two kids. Just learned that he has very advanced cancer. And it's going to be tough. Tom, if you're listening, I want you to know I'm praying for you. You're a good man with a big, great heart. And I do believe in you. 
and I'm pulling for you. Finally, day after Thanksgiving, Ernestine and I heard that we had lost a dear friend of ours who lived in New York, a man who's become, had become, past tense, a good friend of Lil Wayne's, his manager, Mac Maines. This man's name was Joseph Dumas. He's a shaman, had a rare, rare, genuine psychic gift. He was a great man, God-loving man, God-based man. Helped me, helped Ernestine, helped our friends, helped Wayne, helped Mac. He did so much good for so many people. And we're still not sure what happened, but we lost him on Thanksgiving Day. We lost him. He had been struggling with his health, but we didn't think it was nearly this dire, and we lost him. He has gone to a better place. God rest his soul. God bless Bev. God bless Tom Patterson. God bless us all. Please enjoy your day. Please enjoy every single minute of every day. Because those days will be numbered That's the one thing we can all agree upon. That is it for episode 90. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. And please remember, Undisputed, every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week.